You are listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the game. day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. Dolphins and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your playoff-bound Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show... That's right, the Dolphins are headed back to the postseason for the first time since 2016. We'll know date and time by later this evening, maybe even now, depending on when you hear the podcast. But we do know that there will be a next week. Dolphins beat the Jets 11-6 and head back to the postseason. Let's talk about it. Five takeaways. Audio from Coach and Skyler from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. As I'm leaving Hard Rock Stadium two hours after the game, and one of my favorite post-game shows we've done this year with Seth and OJ from the Fish Tank Podcast, I opted to walk opposed to taking the shuttle service they offer from the gates over to the media parking area. It's January, which means the weather is perfect down here. And I kind of wanted to soak in the moment, and I, I definitely did that. And on that walk, I realized this is my third year with the team, and next weekend will be my first playoff game as a member of the organization. I'm not really sure why it hit me in that moment, but it did. And then I got to thinking this podcast has been a vehicle for frustration when these big games haven't gone our way the last two years, and even earlier this year. Open letters to the fans is essentially what they are, a coping mechanism about being a fan through the tough and the challenges and getting close, but coming up short so many times in those games. And then I thought, dummy, you should do one of your letters to the fans after this game, a reverse coping monologue. And so that's what I wanted to do here. I'm writing this at 636 in the East PM. You'll either hear it later tonight or tomorrow morning. So the timing on this might not match up exactly, but I floated this on the post-game show, and the guys gave me really good feedback talking about how during Sunday night football, typically once the conclusion of the game is kind of decided and they know what the matchups are going to be, they will typically roll out the wild card weekend schedule of games. And I was telling the guys how fired up I am to go home and just watch and wait for that. And OJ made a great point. This has been me to a T. You guys remember back in 2013, the season finale against these same Jets when the Dolphins had to win to get in and they did not. And the rest of the afternoon, there was like a Packers-Bears play-in game. Couldn't watch that. Couldn't watch the Sunday night game. Couldn't bring myself to watch any football because it hurt too much. It stang. And OJ mentioned, yeah, if we didn't win that game today, I'm not watching that Packers and Lions game. But now I can't wait. And I'm like, good. It's not just me. Everyone feels that same way about uh, tuning into this league, which for me, my favorite part, and I think I've mentioned this a few times in the podcast in the past about the Dolphins playing well is 
like watching the rest of the content around the league and just seeing the Dolphins with a higher score than their opponent or the, the, the love they give the Dolphins after big wins or impressive stretches of play, whatever the case may be. So that feedback was cool to hear. And, you know, football, like, it's a job for me, but it started off as a hobby. It, it still really is. It's still a super passionate one. And, you know, again, like after the five losses, I'm thinking, you know, I can't let myself get this high again because you get brought back down. And that's who's who's to blame for that yourself. But like, forget all that, because this is what we do. Like, what else are we if we don't have this team to like, you know, love and talk about and and analyze every single move and situation that comes about? And yeah, sure, there are the weekend warriors who are just looking forward to something that's not work and a chance to go eat wings and drink beers with your friends. And that's outstanding. What a great outlet that is. And why football so incredible, this, this, this league too. But I don't think there are many of those level of fans listening to this. At least that's my guess. If you're listening to a team podcast, you probably rank this team below only a couple things in life. And one of those probably being your family. Like you're passionate about this. It really, really matters. And it can impact your mood negatively and positively. And how good does it feel right now? Are you thinking about the injuries or the tough month before this game? No, you're not. You're celebrating. Because that's what this game is all about. It's about triumph with a community that has witnessed the same wins and the same defeats as you, has celebrated, has, you know, mourned is a strong word, but mourned those difficult losses in the ends of seasons, that has experienced the exact same emotions that you've gone through with something you love so much. It's, it's, not, it's unlike anything else in the world. So as I'm leaving the park, all kinds of thoughts are rushing through my head. What are the five takeaways going to be? When will we play next week? And how grateful I am that there's at least one more week of a full drive time schedule of five episodes. How grateful I am for the people I work with every day, the people that believe in me to put me here. And of course, you know, above everything, all of the fans. You know, Seth had a great ode on the post-game show to some very important people in our circle as, you know, as a triumvirate of myself, OJ, and Seth. Is that too praising of yourself? A, a tripod of people, three people. <laughs> he shouted out our Twitter spaces regulars like Jason Sarney, like Bill from Boynton. He shouted out the legendary Scott Stone and told us this was Scott's first game at Hard Rock Stadium sitting in the stands as a fan ever. I'm sure he'd gone to the Orange Bowl before, but he worked for the team for 40 years. So when could he have done that? And I mentioned on the, on the postgame show, Scott Stone is, you know, basically Jason Jenkins and Scott Stone were my first two connections with the Dolphins. And I really credit both of those people for putting me in this position today. So, Scott, you're a legend, sir. I'm glad you had a blast at the game today. What a great game to go to uh, and to see that, you know, See the game come to an end and then watch the Bills game up on the Jumbotron uh, come to its conclusion and celebrate a playoff berth. And so I wanted to give some of that gratitude to you guys as well, the fans, the listeners of Drive Time, because this is why we do this, right? This is why we invest time and emotion into something we have no control over. Like, fanatic is the definition of insanity in a lot of ways because we don't control something and we are bananas over it. For moments like this, to beat the Jets, to make the playoffs, and now you wait as more than half of the league is booking tea times, you're getting ready to put a different shaped ball on a different type of tea at least one more time this season. Let's freaking go. And with that, why don't we do the same from someone you definitely want to hear more than I, but it is my podcast, so I'll take the leadoff spot. Let's go ahead and throw it to Coach McDaniel to bring us home here and tell us what this win means to him. I would say it feels tremendous. That doesn't mean that wasn't the goal is just to get to the playoffs. However, understanding, you know, all involved people that have been within the organization for 
30 plus years you talk about a fan base that hasn't seen their team go to the playoffs since 2016 you just talk about a lot of people involved uh it's it's very fulfilling for the way it happened guys were very energized about their output during the season um right around the bye week and right after that and then to take five losses in a row specifically the last three and for guys not to quit because it is so much easier to quit very very proud to you know be called the head coach of this team this was an accumulated effort yeah perfectly said coach I'm not sure how you get through a season like this without being a very very tight-knit uh, collection of people and, and collection of professionals all in the pursuit of the same goal. Let's go ahead and get to the stats on the game before we do the five takeaways. And we'll hear more from Mike McDaniel and the winning quarterback, Skylar Thompson here in just a moment. But the Dolphins, 17 first downs to the Jets, 11. And this game really was tilted in Miami's favor, really in every statistical category besides like third downs, which the Jets were seven for 16 on Miami four for 13. Miami did convert one of their two fourth downs in this game. And what a big one that was. We'll talk more about that here in just a second. 302 to 187 yards. The Jets did have nine more passing yards, a buck 49 for them, 140 for Miami, but Miami in the rushing game, 162 to 38. I mean, you had to have it and you got it. We'll talk about that more in a second as well. 64 plays to 53 in favor of Miami. Uh, no turnovers in the game. That was a huge key. If either team turned the ball over, I think the game either would have gone in the Jets' direction or Miami could have put it away earlier if they had gotten a takeaway. It was paramount in this game. Miami took one sack. We did not get to Joe Flacco at all, although we did get to him a lot. Just didn't get the sacks. Um, five penalties for Miami for 47, six for 54 for the Jets, and the Dolphins possessed the ball for 35 minutes, 25 seconds. They almost, uh, no, better than 10 minutes, 11 minutes better than the Jets' time of possession in this game, and you get 37, 37, and 50-yard field goals from Jason Sanders, and of course, a safety there at the very end uh, to give you an 11-6 finale over the New York Jets. So, how about some uh, post-game notes here? The great Brett Breckheisen from our PR staff does a great job of this every single week up on the team uh, website, the team communications website. Uh, Miami finishes the season 9-8 and eight for the third straight year with a winning record. The last time the Dolphins had three straight years with winning seasons, 0-1 to 0-3, the Ricky Williams era. Uh, I guess 0-1 was before Ricky. The Dolphins are now 11-3 and in their past 14 meetings with the Jets and have a 58-56-1 edge in the all-time series. That includes the playoffs. It was the seventh fourth-quarter game-winning or game-tying field goal in the career of Jason Sanders. And his first this year, I knew the season was going to come down to a big Jason Sanders kick, and he got it. The last time he made a kick to win a game with less than a minute to go was the epic in Las Vegas against the Raiders back in 2020, the day after Christmas, to go up 26-25 with six seconds to go in that game. Tyreek Hill was 1,710. Jalen Waddle with 1,356 finished the season with 3,066 combined receiving yards. They became just the fourth pair of teammates in NFL history with over 3,000 yards in the same season. What a pairing those two guys are. Christian Wilkins totaled six tackles, four solo, and one TFL in the game today. It gives him 98 tackles on the season. That is absurd. 98 tackles is the most by any NFL defensive lineman since 1994. That is crazy. What a year for Christian Wilkins. And Cater Kohu had two passes defensed, giving him 10 for the season. He finished the year leading all NFL undrafted rookies in defensive snaps with 852, tackles with 72, and passes defensed with 10. What a year for Cater Kohu. And really, like, if we didn't find that guy with the way we had injuries in the secondary, 
where it would be right now. Who knows? Cater, what a great year he had for a UDFA rookie for anybody, but even more so the fact playing last year at Texas A&M Commerce, this year with the Miami Dolphins in huge spots on a weekly basis. Let's go ahead and get to the five takeaways here and start with number one. And I just really wanted to give credit for the game plan, the commitment to the running game, and the coaching style of this game, and how the quarterback really adhered to that approach in the game. They went for that fourth down early in the game, which, you know, in a game that's going to be big on field position, you get a conversion there, you're already probably in scoring range, or at least close to it if you do. But if you don't get it, the Jets are right back in range of their own. So a good job with the defense to, you know, put the clamps on that after the failure on that fourth down. But I love the mindset and the aggressiveness and the trust in the team. And I've always been very pro, you know, fourth down aggression, especially, you know, in certain situations in certain spots. They've been that team all year from opening day on the 42-yard touchdown to Jalen Waddle to this game. And the one that I loved even more was the end, the the outside, the toss sweep, I should say, to Jeff Wilson on fourth and five. Let me get the exact numbers on that. Give me one second. Yeah, the beauty of podcasting, you can pause and come right back. So it is fourth and five from the Jets 41-yard line. Uh, you know, they brought Jason Sanders out. From, for a potential 58-yard attempt, and that got the Jets to burn a timeout after a defensive, um, you know, simulated pressure look against a third and long situation on the Jets' opening drive of the half. That caused the Jets to take a timeout, and they gave him just one for the end of the game, which was very critical. Again, in the game like this, those types of things come into play. So that little bit of head game there with the Jets got them to use a defensive timeout and burn two of their three early in this game. But Fourth and five, and I, I can't wait to watch it on tape because I can't give you a breakdown of it right now, but fourth and five from the 41-yard line in a game where you're so hypersensitive to field position and how close you are to a potential field goal, to convert on that fourth and five with a running play where you obviously have to know you have an advantage or a certain leverage or they're giving you a look in the game that tells you that route, that path for the ball carrier is going to be there. What a call, man. What a what an absolute call to get those eight yards on that play, get right into field goal range. And I mean, every field goal in this game was the difference in the game. The Dolphins did penetrate the red zone there and wound up going in the other direction and kicked the field goal uh, for 37 yards from Jason Sanders. But that call on that fourth down, and then also just that drive in general, to me, that drive was manufactured points. Like you talk in baseball, you, you know, get a guy on, He's still second base, bunt him over to third, hit a ground ball. You know, my old, I had a college coach that used to say weak ground ball score runs, and he's used a cuss word in there as well, but weak ground ball score runs. Like, that's how you manufacture a run in baseball. The Dolphins on this drive had a jet sweep to Jalen Waddle that went for nine yards. They ran some reverse type action on a pitch back to Raheem Mostert where he picks up 14 yards and then pops him for 11 on the next play. They went with a pop pass that wound up losing yards. And just in general, like finding different creative ways to put the ball in your playmaker's hands and to create running lanes and some misdirection to get the Jets defense, which we talked about in the preview show, how aggressive they play. Maybe some misdirection was that was the idea there, right? Because aggression can tend to lead to overplay if you can do it right. And Miami got that. So on that drive, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 plays before the field goal of just meticulously going down the field, eating clock. And at any point in that game, you kind of felt like if they take a lead, like you feel good about it. The Jets playing from behind and the defense is getting constant pressure on the quarterback, maybe forcing them to have to go score and have a little bit more urgency in a drive can be a way to manufacture a takeaway. But it didn't happen that way. But I just love the way the Dolphins went after it. And then late in the game, Sauce Gardner, who again, played really damn well. He's a great player 
He leaves the game, and what do they do besides throw a deep shot to Tyreek Hill on the first play that he's out against a new corner? And Skyler's arm got hit, and it wound up being complete to Mike Gasicki. But that, I mean, process over results, man. The result was great, incidentally. But he was loading up for a deep shot. His arm gets hit, and Tyreek was screaming down the field to the post. I love that idea. Like, they, their star player goes out, go after his replacement, Great coaching in this game all the way around, and it got them to the winner's circle, and it got them back to the playoffs. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there on point number one, and we'll come back on the other side and do takeaways two through five. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. You have to talk about the defense after this victory, holding the Jets to just six points in the season finale, a victory that clinches a playoff berth for your Miami Dolphins. And again, you know, in a, a critical game like this where fine margins, you know, with uh, both teams were down to, you know, I, I guess you call them the third string quarterbacks the start of the year because the Jets wound up going Zach Wilson, Mike White, Joe Flacco, obviously Tua, Teddy, and Skyler. You, you're down several key offensive linemen. It's just, you know, a, a war of attrition all year long. And in a game like this where teams are banged up like that, you have to be really detailed in the fine margins and it started off not great like possessions that began at the 45 and 45 yard or 44 and 45 yard line for the Jets but Miami's defense didn't flinch on those and they held and the defense in a game that you needed the defense to win the game they did that's a takeaway number two by the way uh I just thought Sealer once again his early wins to put you know pressure on backs in the backfield where they have to make a decision before they even really get the football about like how am I going to bend this thing back and just try to salvage a no game Christian Wilkins we talked about his 98 tackles and how absurd that is how many times did he make key critical stops and how many times does his play put the defense into a third and long situation because of what he did in the running game on the early downs in the count Keon Crossman had a great third down tackle on a pass just short of the sticks where he gave like no like not even an inch of ground on that play. There was one of Kohu's PBUs, and he, on top of the two PBUs, man, like he had, he was in phase and in position to to get, you know, incompletions forced a couple of other times. There was a rep where he and X were on one side of the field and X jammed Garrett Wilson and Kohu ran down the field. I think it was, I'm not sure the receiver, Elijah Moore, maybe. I can't confirm that, but he made a great play on that football but then just the constant pressure, like on third downs, it was so, so frequently for Joe Flacco. They wind up with 10 total QB hits, and you can't tell me that didn't impact the game. Like I know everyone wants to see the, the gaudy sack numbers, but they were on him all game long. And against again, against a team that was banged up on the offensive line, you have to win those matchups, and they did routinely. You know, I, frankly, I thought Flacco kept the game a lot closer than one would think with how the pass rush was playing. Because how many throws where he's getting hit and like like you're seeing him drop the arm angle down to like a three quarter to deal with the fact that here's Jalen Phillips in my face again, you know, bearing me into the surface at Hard Rock Stadium. And he's like dropping the arm angle like a shortstop and that ball's just kind of flicking off that that last fingertip, the pointer finger like through traffic, not getting batted and finds its way into a Jets receiver's arm for a positive gain. So not only is he not like taking negatives and turning the ball over, he's getting completions out of them. I thought he played really well in that regard. In fact, I can't wait to see the time to throw from next gen on Joe Flacco tomorrow because it had to be right around two seconds. And the fastest quarterbacks in the NFL are like two and a half seconds on average over the course of the year. I bet Flacco was in the low twos. We'll, we'll find out tomorrow, but it had to be super, super low. Uh, Andrew Van Ginkle's pressure, Melvin Ingram, he's been so good in that, you know, quasi 
sometimes you need him on early downs. Other times you don't, but he's always there for the key pass rush packages. I love that Chubb, Phillips, Ingram, and Wilkins package that has been so effective all year long. Just constantly putting pressure on the opposing quarterback. 20 carries for 38 yards. We talk about, you know, a game like this. Again, you're, you're down a couple of quarterbacks. What do you need? Other parts of the team to step up. And for the Jets, 20 rushes for 38 yards on the ground. Miami, 32 for 162. I mean, that's the, that's the ball game right there, right? What a great job by the defense. And after taking that 6-3 lead in the third quarter, I was kind of tracking some of the stats. And, yeah, there was a first and 20 conversion that really, like, ah, at the time it was a bummer. They kick a field goal there. They get the football back, and they held strong at the end in that tie 6-6 game a couple of times. You hold again there late after the go-ahead field goal as well on the pitchy-pitchy woo-woo, as Scott Van Pelt calls it. So really cool stuff. Let's go ahead and hear from head coach Mike McDaniel on the defense's effort. And I love the way this question was put about how back on opening day, Coach allowed the defense to be introduced to the starting lineup because until proven otherwise, he said, right, this is still the defense's team. And as the year went along, obviously the offense, you know, gained some ground in that regard. And then today, when the defense had to have their best game of the year, they did. Here's Coach on his defense coming up in a huge spot. A six-point outing is tough any way you cut it in the National Football League. Yeah, I've been really, really proud of them specifically in the last three weeks. I thought that down the stretch when we needed them most – They've really come through, so I can't say enough about that effort when this team needed it. Two takeaways in the books. Let's go ahead and get to number three. How about the grit to win that football game? I mean, let's just be real about what the Dolphins were dealing with out there today. QB1 down, QB2 active, but we know that Teddy had a dislocated pinky just seven days ago. And hell, a guy we signed this last week was elevated to the active, the game day roster. I don't know who the second quarterback was going to be if something happened to Skyler, but obviously not your ideal situation at a key position. You lose Raheem Mostert mid-game to an injury, and he didn't return. Did you guys see the picture of him and Tua watching the game from the tunnel at the very end there? That one hit me right in the feels personally. Tyreek toughs out an ankle injury the entire game. Waddle gets dinged up late. Cedric Wilson wasn't able to go. If I told you back in April or March, whatever you want to say it was, that we're going to play this game without Tua, without Teddy, without Raheem, without Tyreek at times with Waddle getting dinged up late without Cedric Wilson what would you say any chance of winning that game I mean it just proves this grit what if I told you no Teron Armstead and that meant both opening day tackles as Austin Jackson you know has has been out for a while now they're both not available no Kendall Lamb who I thought filled in nicely last week for Teron Armstead and Brandon Shell who ostensibly was Austin Jackson's replacement he goes down (laughs) Liam Eikenberg goes down in the game Thank goodness he returned, and because Rob Hunt is so flexible, you can put Rob Jones at right guard and kick out Rob Hunt to right tackle. Excited to watch his tape there because he's been so good at right guard, and we saw him play well as a rookie at right tackle. Curious to watch him play there. But my goodness, the attrition is like, you can't even script that, man. It's wild. And then on defense, it's the same thing that they've had to overcome all year. Several injuries in the defensive backfield, and they just kept coming until the very end. What a gritty performance, man. What a team win. Takeaway number four. Just ultimate appreciation and respect for Skylar Thompson. That's kind of the takeaway here because, you know, everybody wanted Tyreek on the third and eight in the tie game drive of the fourth quarter. That shovel to Gasicki. Like they're calling out for Tyreek, you know, throw the ball deep to Tyreek. That's what I heard in the press box. But pressure was right in his face. And he dealt with that all game long. Like you can't throw, you can't set up and, you know, one hitch, drive in the pocket and drive the football down the field. When there's a free runner in your face, you're going to get hit. You're going to get hurt. The ball's probably going to flutter on you. And he constantly found a way to 
mitigate that pressure. No, only the one sack in this game. That's a pretty crazy stat for how much pressure and constant duress he was under. The toughness. He got hit time and time again in critical third and long situations where he just kind of had to get himself up off the turf. Because again, like we said, you know, you might have had to go to either your options were a quarterback that had a hard time gripping the football all week or a quarterback that just got here on Monday or whatever it was earlier for Mike Lennon. Like, kudos, kid, for the way he played and came back and responded and just kept getting up. I, I really, really appreciate what Skylar Thompson went through for the Dolphins in this game. We finally had a quarterback not named Tua Tungavailoa start and finish a game and get a win, the first of the year without one, and it was the one that we needed. Skylar Thompson's day, it's not going to blow you away by any stretch, but it was effective enough, man. 20 for 31, a buck 52, that's 64.5% and 4.9 yards per attempt. No picks. That was the number one thing we had to achieve today. Didn't turn the ball over, a 76.3 passer rating, and just one sack, too, to avoid negatives in a critical field position game. Let's go ahead and hear two sound bites here from Skylar Thompson. First, talking about what this win meant to him. It feels amazing. Um, throughout this whole entire year for this entire football team, um, to experience the things that we experienced and to finish it like this, pretty special um and i think it speaks volumes about the type of guys we got in our locker room um and the willing to fight you know and that's something that i've prided myself on my entire life is fighting and i felt like that game today was a definition of, of just fighting um wasn't always pretty um you know but we did did what we had to do to win and made the plays we needed to to win and that is all that matters, and I am very grateful to, grateful to stand up here um, and be part of this team and to have the opportunity that I did today. It was, it was special and uh, meant a lot to me. We also mentioned the mistake-free football. Here's Skyler on the approach and playing that mistake-free football to get Miami into the winner's circle again for the first time in a while. Not thinking about not making a mistake, you know. Um, my mindset was just to take care of the football you know it, it's having positive there's ways of saying that in a positive way to where um you know it, it's not uh, a playing scared type thing where it's just taking what the defense gives us trusting our defense our defense played so well today um special teams everything trusting that everybody's going to do their job and all i got to do is put us in position to score um if that is field goals if that is touchdowns whatever the case may be it's just having that one play mentality you know that i was talking about and you know, I think that really helped me just manage the game and put us in a situation to win. And that is what they did. They went and won the game. Takeaway number five, how about those backs, man? How about Raheem Mostert? Like, who pissed Raheem off a month ago and produced not one or two? or Like, he has like four or five runs where he's bouncing off tacklers, converting that speed that he has around the edge into power, and just running through dudes. I saw Ruthie Polinski of the NBC local coverage here in South Florida tweet out, like, Raheem wants to make the playoffs. Yeah, he sure as hell does, and he played like it really all month long. A big tip of the cap to Raheem Mostert. He gave the Dolphins his all and exited the game with an injury, but man, they're not here without Raheem Mostert after that game. He goes 11 rushes for 71 yards, 6.5 average, a, 21, uh, a long of 21 yards, uh, on this game today and then how about Jeff Wilson man 16 for 72 four and a half yard average 16 long run for him and I just thought the way that the way they both ran I thought inspired the offense to play it you know 
even more hungry and inspired football. Because when your backs are, you know, putting that type of effort in, and Jeff Wilson's such a tough SOB to bring down that he kind of just inherently has that. But for Raheem and, and Jeff and Savon and the entire room to just run their butts off all game long, I thought spearheaded the offensive effort and performance and was the catalyst in the victory today. And so on top of the stats going for 162 yards on the ground, Waddle gives you nine. Savon Ahmed's seven-yard run, how critical was that? Because you're sitting there at second and nine, and you're right on the, it's like the 38-yard line, right on the fringe of field goal range. If you miss from the 38-yard line right there with the snap giving you seven more yards, so it's 45, like 55-yard field goal, if you miss that with 20 seconds left, the Jets with, we saw Greg Zerline miss from 50-something yards, and the ball hit the top of the freaking kicking net. So if you don't convert that series right there and you miss a field goal, all of a sudden the Jets are one first down away from potentially ending your season with a successful field goal of their own. So for Savon Ahmed to give you seven yards on that run after Raheem goes down and Jeff Wilson, you know, they went one yard run, one yard run, two yard run. Like they committed to the running game on that possession and you go to Savon in a big spot. What a big first down he gets right there. I still owe Savon a Husky shirt photo for the Apple Cup and I have to pay him off on that uh, next time I see him. But was very happy to see Savon hit a huge run in a huge spot and the Dolphins for sticking with the running game right there. Let's go, baby. And so uh, let's go ahead and take a last break. No, real quick, let's go ahead and shoehorn this in there. Outside the takes, but I just wanted to mention this. Like, how about the fact that somebody missed a field goal against us? I don't want to look it up right now. I'll do it for the podcast tomorrow. I feel like not many teams have missed kicks against us. And last year, we had three buzzer beater walk-offs against us. I know Buffalo beat us with a walk-off earlier this season. Just nice to, to not... Uh, to have someone miss a kick against us for once. Like, it feels like it hasn't happened in a long time. Let's go ahead and take the last break. Your five takeaways, these angry backs and their angry runs, commending Skylar Thompson's toughness and grit, the team's grit as a whole to win that football game despite all the attrition and adversity all year long. You needed the defense to go have a big game, and they got it for you, and coaching in a certain way around your personnel to win the football game. Those are the five takeaways. Last break right here. We'll come back on the other side, do the play before the play, teaching tape, and I want to finish up with one more commentary from Mike McDaniel and just ask the Dolphins fans some open-ended questions out there. That's next. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Segment number three on a recap, playoff-bound Miami Dolphins victory Monday, all the superlatives podcast. Play before the play, I had two options here. Number one was Skylar Thompson evading pressure on a third and five that was in immediately. Ruined any opportunity of playing on schedule, on script, on that play. Breaks the pocket, gets out, and throws the ball away. You're thinking to yourself, Travis, that's your play before the play? Yeah, because in the very next one, Miami converted a fourth and five rushing attempt to move the sticks and kick a field goal, which again, in this game, every field goal was paramount. My other one was Javon Holland rushing off the offense's left as a free hitter and putting an angle to the quarterback where it was it was like basketball, right? Joe Flacco was the man with the ball. Javon Holland was the defender, and the receiver was the basket. You want to put yourself in between your man and the basket. He took his angle right down that line. Flacco had a wide open dude in the flat, and Javon gets his hands on it. The very next play is the Mike McDaniel challenge victory. More on that in a second, which got the Jets off the field for the last time before Miami got their game-winning field goal. 
boom, big time stuff right there. My teaching tape was Xavier Howard's coverage on his near pick that was then a near catch and then a near fumble by Garrett Wilson because he did that mirror coverage, inside hand jam, flip the hips, get your butt to the sideline, pin the receiver to the sideline, get your eyes back on the quarterback, try to make a play on the football. Garrett Wilson's a good player, man. We're going to have to deal with him for a long time. But X made a number of key plays on him in this game, including that one. And that was absolute teaching tape where Garrett Wilson almost damn near caught the football, but uh, X wound up getting it out. Almost a fumble as well on the other end, which could have been a huge game changer, but still you want to get the ball out. Either way, he does that in completion. That was my teaching tape in this game. And I want to finish by asking you guys this. How did y'all feel? I want to hear from you on Twitter, at me on Twitter. How did you guys feel during key moments of the game? Like, how about when the Jets converted on that third and long on the drive before the long Sanders field goal? Was anybody else just kind of dealing with, like, knots in their stomach? I never felt like this game was, like, in, in like, like serious jeopardy. Of course, that drive getting down to midfield was getting dicey there, but I just still felt like we have to find a way to win this, especially as the Bills were kind of, you know, pouring it on late in the game to get those 30, you know, what did they finish with, 35 points? How did you feel when Garrett Wilson's catch went for not when you won the challenge? Because I was a for sure probably going to go for it on fourth down, right? But wound up punting the ball instead. That was McDaniel's first successful challenge as a head coach. And he had pretty good commentary on it as well. Let's go ahead and hear from Mike McDaniel on the victory, victorious challenge. Um, I was actually saying that on the headset. I'm like, because I was very aware of that. Um, but I was, I had a feeling and I was like, you know what? Um, how fitting would this be if I finally get one right um, and it's the 18th week, 17th game, fourth quarter? So, um, you know, I, I just, you know, like the rest of the locker room, you know, I just was battle-tested, you know, tried to learn from my mistakes. But it was, uh, it was nice that it ended up being a big, big uh, turning point. And so credit goes to all the people communicating with me um, and provoking me to, to not have a long memory on all these failed attempts, which I had won that half as well. So, And again, if you don't get that challenge flag out and you have you know 35 seconds to make it happen, they probably go on fourth down. And if they convert there, it's first and 10 and plus territory. Instead, Miami got the ball back. You know, big time stuff there. How did you feel? when Miami took over on that last possession, after the horse collar foul on Waddle, after Savon's seven-yard run, when we're lining up for the 50-yard field goal to send us to the playoffs or miss and go to overtime. How did you feel during all that? I had a hunch all year long, and this is just, you know, thinking about football too much, that Jason Sanders was going to hit a massive kick through the uprights for us, and he sure did that today. All three of them were huge, and I loved his fist pump he did after the ensuing kickoff. You could tell that meant a lot to him. Nerve-wracking game was a blast to keep tabs on the other game in Buffalo, especially as it began to go our way, and now we are in, baby. We'll break down the tape tomorrow and hear from Coach in his Monday afternoon press conference. There is another week and a heck of a lot more, but in the meantime, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice, our post-game show weekly and now next week on 560 WQAM our Twitter Spacer show on Wednesdays the international podcast in the network and of course the Miami Dolphins YouTube channel for media availabilities Dolphins Today Drive Time and Fish Tank content and last but not least MiamiDolphins.com until next time fins up Caroline Cameron daddy's coming home and your first playoff birth of your life fins up